You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. It's Monday, 29 January. Bernard Arnault takes over Musk to become the world's richest person, $207.6 billion. I'm Simon Brown, coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb offices in Houghton, Johannesburg. On the show today, Wayne McCurry. I'm going to touch on the Lewis Trading Update. Just came buying its head office. A couple of other bits and pieces as well. Philip Bradford from Portfolio Metrics. They're listing an active exchange-traded fund on Wednesday. It is an income fund. Bianca Bocas from Citadel. Uh, risks for the currency in the year ahead. Opportunities perhaps as well. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines from the FT. Evergrande ordered to be wound up by a court in Hong Kong. They have over $300 billion in debt. Business day, Willys and ShopRite on course for market share gains, says 91. Asset manager upbeat over effect of 700,000 jobs created in SA last year and the effect that will have on the consumer-facing companies. Morning markets, US was red, S&P down 0.1, NASDAQ off 0.6%. Over in the east, uh, mostly green, Sydney's your red, 0.1 down, Tokyo up 0.9, Hong Kong up 1.25%, 10 cent up half a percent. Commodities, green, gold, 2,043, Brent, 8381, platinum 922, palladium 959, rand is 1879, bitcoin 42,400, top 40 looking for a green open but 16 points only, so what's that, 0.02%. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Trading now with uh, Wayne McCurry from FMB Wealth and Investment. Wayne, morning. Appreciate the early time. We've had a, a slew of, of trading updates from the, 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 the retailers in the last week or so. Uh, we got Lewis early Friday morning. Uh, total revenue up 8.7% for that nine months. It, it, my sense was kind of in line with what we've seen from other retails. It, in, in part, low base effect, but uh, putting through modest numbers. Yes, the numbers aren't bad, but when you dig down into them a little bit, you'll see it's all credit. Their cash sales were actually down 14%, I think, <clears throat> and credit up 18 So their debtors' book has really expanded, and you just hope that they did the right credit vetting before granting that credit. Otherwise, you know, they could have problems into the future. So everything was credit, and I think that's indicative of, I suppose, the furniture retailers to move furniture in this environment. You've got to grant credit. Yeah. But when you take the, 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 so far, all of the trading updates and you take an overall picture of them, it's actually better than I think the market was expecting. And we've seen some of the retail shares go up quite strongly on the back of that. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly, absolutely, we have had a, most of them had a fairly good week last week. Just came announcing a small related transaction, a related party. Essentially, they're buying the, the head office, and I appreciate it's 500 million, which for you and I is a big number, but for the likes yes. of Discam, this is more than anything, I don't know, just kind of clearing up the, 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 the structures. Correct, yes, and you just got to make sure, I mean, obviously, the shareholders and internal functions within Discam will make sure that that's the right price. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
Yeah, yeah, make sure it's the right price. What about BHP? We we, we, we had that uh, Slime Stand disaster in, in, in uh, South America. What, it was back, I think, 2016? Ooh, yeah, it was years ago. And there's finally a ruling against them. Again, tens of millions of dollars, uh, sorry, billions. But my sense is, is that they've provided for this. The market didn't seem to worry at all. No, look, this is old, old news in the market. I mean, it was a terrible tragedy when it yeah. happened. And yet BHP weren't running the mine. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were partners, but they weren't in charge of the operation of the mine. But obviously, as shareholders, you're liable. Mm-hmm. And when something like this does happen, you know, there will eventually be a ruling against you. But I think it's fully provided for, certainly the market and you, you knew about it and knew the extent of it. Yeah, Vale was the, the folks actually running the mine and they've obviously yes. been been fined against it. A, a last point, I saw over the weekend a Bank of America report coming out, largest weekly inflow into emerging market stocks ever. This obviously uh, uh, US ETFs and, and but also individual stocks. Some yes. rotation happening as we've seen the Magnificent Seven become constantly more magnificent. It's a sense that maybe markets starting to think, hang on, there's some other stuff out there that we could could be invested into and i think you're right in that i think the cycle is turning has turned will still turn over the next two to three years yeah, where yeah. you move away from essentially first world call it that for want of a better word into commodity orientated third world commodity producing countries like south africa it's happened every time we've always had a cycle we will always have a cycle and I think this is now the change. And the cycle always coincides with essentially falling inflation and falling interest rates worldwide. Gotcha. So it would be quite normal for that to happen mm-hmm. now. Yeah, and, and I take your point. The markets are, are, are about cycles. And, and this is not something that happens in a day or a week. It takes months. It takes years. Uh, but it, it happens as sure as markets are there. We'll leave it there. Wayne McCurry, Senior Portfolio Manager, F&B Wealth and Investments. Appreciate the early morning. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Standler Balanced Cautious Fund, we manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. I'm chatting with Philip Bradford. He's Portfolio Metrics Head of Investments. Philip, appreciate the time today. You're bringing later in the week a active income ETF to market. Current gross yields around 11.8%. We're kind of in the golden era of income funds in South Africa. I mean, we're getting equity-like return without the equity risk. Exactly, Simon. I mean, you know, longer dated government bonds today are yielding over inflation plus seven, actually. So sadly enough, I think one of our best exports from an investment (laughs) perspective for many years have been bond returns. And, you know, folks are going to say, hang on, we're hoping for prime rates to be coming lower this year. But there's not a direct link necessarily between prime and bonds or bond yields. And certainly there's also the rule, you know, yield down, price up. There's two ways we can make money in a bond environment. 
Exactly. You get two major types of bonds that we look at. Fixed rate bonds, where you invest in a fixed rate like a fixed deposit, mm-hmm. and variable or floating rate bonds, which where the yield of the bond moves up and down with the prevailing interest rate. And most of the corporate bonds in your market that typically your income funds would purchase for investors are floating rate bonds. Most of your government type bonds are fixed rate bonds. And really at the top of the interest rate cycle, as we're suggesting right now, you want to be moving more into to fixed rate bonds, it's not particularly complicated, but you want to be locking your interest rates at higher levels. And at levels literally, you know, many of the bonds still over 12%. It really is a good opportunity for investors who are not particularly, don't want to take on too much risk, but still want to try and get a double digit return. And one of the things, I mean, we've got an active bond market locally. In fact, we've got quite a large bond market, but it's not really designed for the sort of the private client. I mean, it's, it's not just the complexity, it's the range, it's the size of transactions. And hence, an ETF like this works well because it takes that complexity out of my hands. Yes, and you know, even in the normal government bond market, and that makes up the large majority of the SA bond market and from a market cap or a size perspective, mm. even then, you know, you're really you're playing with big boys and girls. You know, yeah. you, you're dealing in big volumes. You can buy those. But most of the interesting bonds, which tend to be a lot of the corporate and floating rate bonds issued by the banks and the large corporates, those you can't really get your hands on. Your big pension funds, your asset managers, your life companies, buy those when they get issued in the primary market and then they don't really trade too often in the Mm. secondary market so for an individual investor like myself even I need to access them through a fund type vehicle and that's where something like an ETF here is really a great vehicle for investors to access a lot of these nice high yielding bonds that are issued by good solid companies like the major banks And then you're able to hold those in your pension fund, in your retirement annuity, or even in your personal capacity now. And you mentioned banks, I mean, because of course, you know, government bonds, I mean, we understand the risk of default of government bonds. A lot of folks will say, hang on, but if we're stepping down into corporate bonds, there's risk. That risk is managed. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, you're not going to go and do, you know, I don't know, Simon Super Saver store and take my bonds. You manage those returns by, you know, the credit risk. Yes, exactly. And we try and focus on, and we have done historically because we've run a similar mandates or identical mandates mm-hmm. in this space now for nearly a decade. And we try and stick with the rule of too big and too important to fail. You know, when you're buying a bond, you're lending your money to someone else and you want to make sure they can repay it. The second thing is liquidity. And the liquidity is seriously a function of how good the borrower is. So yeah. the major banks, the insurance companies, Outside of government, we actually don't look outside of that, to be honest, because the liquidity starts drying up quite quickly. And the same could be said of listed companies' shares on the JSC. You know, you want to stick with companies Mm -hmm. that you can buy and sell, and those tend to be the better companies as well. So the bonds that are available to us and that we get access to, we try and stick to the banks predominantly and then some of the insurance companies too. You've managed the same within a unit trust, as you mentioned. How's that performed? Because I understand it is exactly the same mandate. We've done very, very nicely over the years, partly a function of, guess what, bonds and interest-bearing instruments have just done steadily well, even through tough times. You know, if we go back to 2015, the portfolios averaged just under 10% a year, which in itself is a nice return. But over the same time, you know, cash has only given you six and a bit and mm-hmm. the stock market's done worse. So it's really, a, at the end of the day, I like to say bonds are a bit like a fruit tree where equities are like a forest tree, really. And it's, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's about the fruit you get off the tree with a bond. So, you know, if you tend to buy a bond that's got a yield of around 10%, guess what? Over the period, your return is going to be close to 10%. So 
on average, we've been between sort of 9 to 10% a year over periods. There's a bit of capital volatility, but it's, it's nothing like you what you get out of the equity market. Yeah, absolutely. So listing Wednesday, Portfolio Metrics, Active Income Prescient, AMETF, that's Actively Managed ETF. Uh, have you got a code and a target a total expense ratio? So the total expense is just over half a percent. I think with the Manco cost, it's 0.58 percent, which actually is the same as your your unit trust type funds mm-hmm. as well. PMX INC is the code. It's really just a vehicle that allows investors who want a nice high level of income to, to get that via their stockbroking account without having to to buy shares, or high dividend paying shares, or property stocks to try and get that income. 100%. We'll leave that there. That is Philip Bradford, Portfolio Metrics Head of Investments. Appreciate the time. And that's our poll today on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Are you buying or perhaps you're holding some income products with, with great yield? The thing is, of course, rates are coming down. But as the rates go down, well, then the value goes up and you're still going to kind of lock in. They've got that 118 you might not get quite that, but you might get as much as 11%. That's chunky, as we said, income, uh, equity-like returns. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. Your money can do more when it's investing with conviction. Our partnership with J.P. Morgan Asset Management gives you access to in-depth, broad market research and high-return investment strategies. So invest in a select set of companies with long-term structural growth potential with Stanlib's Global Growth Fund. Seek more returns at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. I'm chatting with Bianca Bottas, Citadel Global Director and Treasury Partner. Bianca, I appreciate the time. Iran is always, I don't know, there's always a sense of foreboding around it most of the time. Perhaps a little more this year. Certainly, if you look at geopolitical, environmental risks, I mean, they are mounting in a planet which has got more geopolitical risk than usual. And some of our friends are perhaps on the wrong side. Good morning, Simon. Absolutely. I think, you know, when we start looking at the RAND, we've become quite attuned to the volatility that we see in our currency. However, we are seeing quite a few risks that's popping its head up this year. And there are chances that the RAND could actually, you know, further weaken from the levels that we are seeing, given these risks, um, depending on the probability that you attribute to them. Election years? I mean, we've got dozens of countries, in fact, I've got 70 odd countries voting. South Africa is one of those. It does mean we get a friendly budget, but I mean, I don't know how much it's necessarily going to help, but it's going to create some uncertainty and volatility. Absolutely. I think, you know, when we start looking at budget in an election here, I think the biggest concern there is exactly how populist that budget is going to be Mm. and whether we are actually going to push a budget that is vote friendly, but not necessarily the right budget for what we need in South Africa, given the fiscal constraints that we are facing. I suppose the trick is as well is it's one thing to propose the budget. It's another whole story in terms of how much it actually gets adhered to. You know, standing in Parliament is quite easy. Spending the money might be a different story entirely. Absolutely. And I think the South African government is really going to face a big challenge in terms of where they raise the financing Mm. from. As we are aware, South Africa already has quite a high debt to GDP ratio, you know, looking at about the 70% to GDP mark. And that's caused quite a bit of uncertainty in the market in terms of how we will be able to A, generate funding, but B, also how do we actually service those interest payments on the money that we keep borrowing to actually finance some of these initiatives that we are looking at deploying. I take your point. Maybe the 
budget is more about what foreign investors perceive it as, because of course they're buying a chunk of our debt. Staying foreign, I mean, foreign direct investment. I mean, we've struggled with that for, I want to say decades, perhaps as long as that. That's not going to suddenly get better at any point this year either. No, I don't foresee it getting better this year. When we start looking at foreign investment into South Africa, obviously we've got fixed foreign capital coming in, such as factories and those type of things. Mm-hmm. And we've actually seen quite a bit of an outflow of those type of international companies who used to invest into South Africa. But also from a government bond perspective, you and I touched on it in a previous discussion where we actually looked at how much of our bonds are still held by foreigners. And if you compare that, let's say between 2018 and 2023, there's been a significant decline in the amount of foreigners actually investing in our government debt. It has, and that then puts more pressure on the local buyers to buy the bonds. And certainly they have been, but that puts, you know, a little bit less demand puts a risk at higher rates, which of course, back to the budget, just creaks at all that interest that we owe. Absolutely. I think, you know, those interest payments are starting to become quite a big concern. It's one of the key points that economists and analysts look at when we actually decide for the budget. And it was actually a very topical conversation during the midterm budget policy statement. Mm. Exactly how are we planning on funding those interest payments and what portion of the budget currently is being attributed to just financing those interest payments? If we look at last year, 2023, with the rain weekend over the year, we saw volatility. That's pretty much standard for the currency. There's nothing in that we have chatted around and that we're seeing that fundamentally changes that for 2024. If we're to pencil in for something for the currency, weakness is probable. Weakness is probable. There are two factors that could potentially assist our RAND. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, we're looking to the Chinese government for stimulus in China, and that could be good for commodity prices that in turn will be good for the RAND. However, this week, we actually saw the Chinese government reducing the reserve requirements from their banks. And that is expected to inject about $140 billion into the Chinese economy. And the RAND, even under those circumstances, struggled to really maintain any of its gains and struggle to break below that 1890 mark and sustain it there. So we'll really look towards the Chinese government for further and more prominent fiscal stimulus. And then also we have the matter of Jafekra which is quite a contentious matter. It's been discussed broadly by media and analysts. And that is basically the gold and foreign exchange reserve that yeah. the, the Reserve Bank maintains. And there's an odd about $47 billion worth of paper profit sitting in that fund at the moment. And they are exploring how they can actually monetize some of those gains, release it into the government's revenue account, and actually use those for very specific projects in South Africa. But in relation to the RAND, in effect, what that would mean is that the SOB will go and they will sell vast quantities of dollars and purchase RANDs. And that could lead to a short term improvement or significant improvement in the RAND. And that's perhaps the key thing. Uncertainty and volatility in our currencies standard, as I say. When the market gives opportunity, if you look into externalized money, either do so at that opportunity or hedge, if that's the case, depending on your situation, because it's going to be volatile and there is going to be perhaps some moments of better prices. I absolutely agree with that. I think in this volatile and dynamic environment, we should be prepared for surprises and understand that it is a dynamic market. And we do take our cues from global as well as local factors. So when the market actually presents an opportunity, whether you are looking to buy currency or whether you're looking to sell currency, it's always good to engage with someone that could advise you properly, like a treasury manager or a forex trader, 
and actually put those hedges in place because at least then you have some form of certainty of yeah. outcome and you're not left to the mercy of the RAND. We'll leave it there, Bianca Botas, Citadel Global Director, Treasury Partner. Always appreciate the time. That's it for today. We were chatting with Carmen Meprawani on Friday about the Mr. Price update, uh, which we'd seen, uh, to Wayne's point, uh, the updates are not knocking it out the park, and Carmen agreed with that, but low base and uh, market is liking them. We asked if you were holding local clothing stocks. Two-thirds of you said, hey, you are worried about the struggling consumer, while the rest, it's about a third, saying you agree they are cheap and you are loving them. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning. The MoneyWeb website's in the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobuchle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. If you're loving the show, please leave us a positive rating in your podcatcher of choice. And we'll chat again tomorrow. Local Reads. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.